0: Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco.
2: Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Good Morning New York. It is Tuesday, March 3rd, and I'm your host, Vince Rocco. We are coming to you live, as always, from Blastoff Studios here in Times Square, New York. We have a big show today, a couple of really nice topics, but first... What is a rising star? In New York real estate, it takes time to earn success. The learning curve is steep, and the market demands both skill and connections. Most of the very successful agents in town are over the age of 40 and have been in the business a very long time. Last year, The Real Deal, a New York industry publication, set out to find the under-35-year-old agents that are making a splash in residential commercial and new development deals – this morning, I'm going to talk to three brand new agents in real estate all under the age of 30 and find out what is so compelling about real estate in New York and why they have to be a part of it. Also, our panel of expert expert agents will be here a little later on to talk about hot topics of the week. They were all rising stars in their past, and they have continued to raise the bar In their businesses to stay on top, but first today, my guest this morning is Christopher Gill. Christopher was born in Dorset, England. At a very young age, he moved overseas, living and working in more than five countries on three continents, enhancing his expertise and industry knowledge. In 2002, he opened his own real estate company, Orange State, advising many foreign clients on how to make their dream home or investment come true. In 2005, he went back to the hotel industry, then moved on to the real estate division of that hotel group, and for the past six years, he has been the sales director at Riviera Maya, the largest and most exclusive residential and golf resort in Tulum in the Mexican Caribbean. Christopher is an experienced real estate broker with a diverse background, including becoming a developer in that region, and we're going to hear all about it today. I'm excited to talk to Chris this morning because it's part of the Caribbean, part of the Mexican Yucatan that I am crazy about, and I've gone on record many times saying to people, it is my favorite place in North America. So good morning, Chris, and thank you so much for being here with us today.
3: Thank you very much. It's a great honor to be with you today as well. So, you know,
2: you've had a varied career in many countries. Why are you in Mexico and what is it about Mexico other than what I said earlier, my favorite place in the world? Why are you in Mexico?
3: Well, honestly, there are many reasons uh, why I'm in Mexico. First of all, the word is love, a powerful word. Uh, I arrived in uh, 2005 on holiday and I discovered an amazing destination. which actually overwhelmed uh, my feelings. Uh, People are beautiful. They have a heart that does not fit their chest. The gastronomy the history, and of course, the destination itself has so much to offer. But overall, as a realtor, as a developer these days, is the opportunity factor, is the fact that it's so easy to open up a a new line of investment to, to make that investment happen in a very short period because it's a big market. It's a great destination for tourism, but as well... There's a great uh, rental vacation market. So there are many, many factors when you're involved in the real estate industry that actually come together and make it happen for you in this destination. So a fusion of everything created the perfect place for me to be, and so I have.
2: And you can't beat the weather. I just came back a few weeks ago, and obviously the weather this time of the year is fantastic. So Riviera Maya, Mexico, is one of the world's fastest-growing Caribbean destinations for all the reasons you just point out. Can you tell the listeners why this is a tremendous investment to buy – in Mexico at this particular resort. What is it about this resort that's so special?
3: Certainly. There, there are two main factors I, I consider the main reasons, although there's are much more behind that once you, you get going. One of them is the demographic growth. It's a brand-new destination. Tulum, as a municipality, is only three years old, which is basically nothing. It's a brand-new uh, destination, municipality, and, uh, and this makes a lot of demand. There's a lot of demand, not much offer right now in product And this allows you to have a very, very nice growth appreciation on your property. Second of all, we have the rental vacation market. It is one of the top destinations in the world. It is the top number one destination in Latin America, I believe top number three in the world at present. And this creates uh, something very interesting because there are 13 million, that's one, three million tourists arriving every single year to this destination. And 21% of them actually repetitive clients. This is big. This means they've been for more than three times in the last two years. This
2: 21% is b- return is really big. I mean, I've gone now for four years straight, so I can just wow. imagine that's, that's pretty interesting.
3: It's very interesting, certainly. And these people are deciding more and more these days, instead of staying in a hotel, to at the same rate enjoy a more exclusive uh, apartment in this case. And that's why the rental vacation market has an, inc- an incredible growth. In, in demand. And this is what makes it that people buying condos, while they're not using it, they can rent it out. And actually, these properties are paying out by themselves.
2: Before we get into the actual properties themselves and the apartments and, and, and what's available, let's talk just a little bit about Quintana Roo. It's the area in the Yucatan where this resort lies. And many people think of Mexico, you know, as, you know, kind of like south of California, the center of, Cali- uh, center of Mexico, Mexico City, but the Yucatan is very, very different. And again, for what you just said a little while ago, I think it makes us stand out. But why is this region really, I guess, exploding uh, with U.S. tourists? And I also notice the more I go there, Europeans are all over the place.
3: Totally true. There are many reasons. One is accessibility. Uh, Cancun is an international hub. It uh, has direct flights all around the world, especially in New York. There are six daily flights uh, and they are three and a half hours, so, so really, really comfortable and easy to get there. Second of all, gastronomy, history, culture, there's so much to it. People are discovering this new destination, are falling in love with it, and they go. in it has so much to offer. You have the best of the Caribbean, because remember... We are in the Caribbean. We have the second largest coral reef in the world after Australia. There are the cenotes, which, as you know, they are the famous underground rivers. There's so much things to it. Uh, And then you also have the best of being on the mainland. And this is important because a lot of people enjoy the Caribbean, but logistics in the islands, infrastructure in the islands sometimes are challenging. In this case, being on the mainland, you don't... You don't go through this process of finding hard to get things. You don't go through this process of getting petrol very high. In fact, you are able to live in this destination like a king with third world country costs. So it's uh, it's very attractive in every way you want to see it.
2: Let's talk a little bit about actually what you are selling, what the product is, where it is, what it's called. Because, again, very special location, very special area of Mexico. Tell us a little bit about the product that you have to offer that, um, you know, shortly at the end of this program and certainly later today, I will be posting more information on where you can come and call us to actually purchase a home. But tell us a little bit about that.
3: Certainly. We have basically, and that means, first of all, your home in the Mayan language. We we are great believers that uh, being in the area, uh, where the Mayan culture was was brought up, uh, we respect all around us. From the way we build, we only build 40% of the total surface around big green areas. To to basically all the construction materials, we mainly purchase from the communities, like the limestone, like the local wood. It all comes from the community. We are great believers that we must share our profits with the people that allowed us to build in the destination. First Beautiful. of all, that's, that's where right. the main comes from. Ana. Is a Mayan word, and it means, I re- repeat, your home. And as real estate opportunities, we cater every different necessity. We have downtown feeling people seeking for condominiums in the city center by the Fifth Avenue, uh, where everything is just within walking distance. When I say walking distance, two or three minutes and enjoy the action of the city, we have a downtown in Playa del Carmen. People seeking for resort lifestyle living, relaxing, high end living. Uh, we have condominiums and townhomes in a beautiful uh, resort called Bahia Principe, two Robert Trent Jones golf courses. It's amazing, 1,300 acres of an adult city, vacational city, like I call it, which means you don't have a necessity to leave the premises uh, for any requirements you may have during your stay in your condominium from a doctor straight through to a massage to a green fee, or simply walk in the mile-long beach where 60,000 turtles are born every single year. So there's a lot to it and we got 50 minutes Then, So <laughs> tell me how I do this, okay? You're, you're, you're doing well. Tell us
2: a little bit, though, about Playa del Carmen and Tulum. Very different... Um, uh, towns or cities, whatever, for those out there who may not be familiar with uh, this region, Tulum and Playa del Carmen. What, what about those two areas, obviously, where your development is, again, makes it stand out from, in my opinion, the whole of Mexico?
3: I agree. Uh, <clears throat> actually, two different destinations within 20 minutes drive. Very interesting. Uh, let's call Playa del Carmen. It's a vibe city. It's a positive vibe. It's kind of the Ibiza of the Caribbean. Okay, let's put it this one. The best restaurants, the best nightlife. We've got the famous Fifth Avenue, which is a two-mile-long strip full of shops, full of restaurants. All the nightlife, daytime is incredible as well. Mm-hmm. Beaches are spectacular, not as Tulum, and I'm going to that point right now, but full of beach clubs, live music. And it's all about city lifestyle in the Caribbean, okay? Mm-hmm. Tulum is more to do with the what I call eco chic uh, destination, where you have... Very high-end living, luxurious hotels, luxurious condominos, condominiums sorry—and when I say luxurious, does not mean expensive. Remember, right now we have the opportunity to buy a one-bedroom at one fifty-five, and that's U.S. dollars. Well, so. I was
2: going to talk about that, but but getting back to the the, the, the housing stock or well, the, the hotel stock, very bohemian in in Tulum. I stayed in a treehouse. I mean, you know, beautiful, luxurious totally. treehouse, but not in one of these high-rise, fancy, glitzy all-inclusive hotel. So that, to me, is what the difference is.
3: I agree, and it will never change because the Mayan culture protects I hope protects it never changes. No. I hope it never changes. <laughs> me too. The reality is the Mayan culture is very <clears throat> protective on the destination. Tulum is literally in the heart of the Mayan community. Correct. So when you buy a piece of land, like I said, you can only develop 40%. You cannot go higher than 36 feet high on the building. So Correct. So there are certain factors that allow it to protect this destination. And growth is inevitable. It's, it's impossible to stop it. We are human, we grow, and people fall in love with the destination. I'm from Spain, well, England originally. I'm living there for the last 10 years. And there's nothing we can do about it. But as long as that growth is measured, we can respect nature, we can respect the beauty and allow everybody to enjoy it. And that's what we're doing.
2: Uh, tell me a little bit about, we have a few minutes left, unfortunately. Tell me a little bit about the safety uh, for an investment property in Mexico. A lot of people think that Uh, for a whole host of reasons that it's maybe not so safe to invest in Mexico. Is that true?
3: Not at all. In fact, uh, you can just follow the track of many international corporations that invest in the latest hotel that's open, there is Hard Rock Cafe. Would they invest if it was risky? Totally not. It's not a situation like other countries around the world where you may lose your property. In fact, when you buy in Mexico as a foreigner, like my case, you buy through a trust, you buy through a corporation and this actually opens up the opportunities for you because uh, there are simple reasons like there's no necessity to do a will uh if anything happened to me my son would have the property right away without the necessity of doing a will the government would not put a butt into this uh process because the trust actually automatically transfers to your immediate family the other things as well that invite foreign investments like for example uh you're exempt of paying capital gain tax for the fact you're a foreign and you become a permanent residence And and many more, you know. So, yes, it's very safe to invest. Uh, I've been 10 years doing it. Mm, Our patrimony has grown incredibly and it's still there. And I'll continue trusting, being in love, and, of course, investing in Mexico.
2: Let's talk about personal safety because aside from investment safety, which I'm happy to hear what you just said, uh, people still tend to think that Mexico, for a whole host of reasons, again, mostly drug-related, is not such a safe environment to be in personally. Is that still true?
3: Well, it, I think uh, the world itself, uh, it, there's not one spot that is not safe. Uh, the reality is, Mexico, what we see in the news, uh, things happening, only is equivalent to 1% of the total surface of the whole country. So, really, obviously, the news is always on the spot and making news about Mexico, Mexico. But if you realize where this news is happening, it's always the same spot. And I repeat, it's 1% of the total surface of the country. We are in Yucatan, which is approximately 3,000 kilometers away from that spot. And the reality is there is a reason why Mexico is the number one country that holds more expats from the United States than any other country in the world. And the reason is it's safe.
2: I, I totally agree. Talk uh, quickly about the price points on the, the uh, housing and the uh, the condos that are going to be uh, built in this 350 350- a house portion of the development. What are the price points here?
3: Okay, I'm going di- to. I'm sorry. I'm going to divide it in, in the two products. Uh, very simple. Playa del Carmen, which is a at- downtown, our property is one bedroom, uh, which approximately 900 square foot indoor plus an extra. Um, 10-square-foot terrace, we're looking into $185,000. Amazing. This kind of product, actually, it's uh, paid during the construction process, uh, and you maintain 50% upon delivery. So really, you only have to come up with the first 50% between now and delivery. The beauty about this product is we have we, are, we own hotels in the area as well, which is something we did not mention. And the same hotel operator takes your property and puts it in a leasing program, so you actually can have a guaranteed return program on this specific Playa del Carmen product, which means the property will pay you in advance 4% of the value of your property for 46 weeks rental. So we lease all 46 uh, weeks wow. in advance to guarantee you it's an investment. Second of all, uh, we have what we call a famous lock-off system. Now, this applies for Tulum and Playa del Carmen. Pretty much, as hoteliers, we bring the best of both worlds, and that's what makes Anna completely different. One thing is that you have a private residence luxurious beautiful qualities we have been building for the last 25 years and we include all the hotel uh, services within your private condominium from a bellboy to a concierge so basically room services available in your private condo in playa del carmen and so much more you can book your car you can book uh, basically a tour to where you ever want to go from your concierge so this is very attractive for you and your rental vacation clients uh, the lock-off system allows as well to break your two-bedroom property into a studio and a one-bedroom, allowing you to open up the fan of opportunities at the time of renting or even on a personal use. Uh, I always made the joke when my mother-in-law stays in the studio, I'll keep my one-bedroom, <laughs> yeah. you know, shaken but not stirred. But the, reality, the reality is that as an investment point of view, which is a main factor of buying there right now, is that you can actually rent to two separate families, to one big family and cater right. for different necessities. and not having to say no to someone that's asking a property that is not equivalent to what you have to offer, wow. so that's interesting. That's Playa, and in two seconds I know we're running out of time. Go ahead. Go ahead. T- Tulum starts at one fifty nine, and actually the beauty about Tulum that you can live in this resort and in this specific product, we will finance directly, not through a bank, as developers. 50% of the condominiums, wow. which means you only need to come up, in this case, $75,000 between non-delivery, which could be September this year or spring next year. And upon delivery, you occupy your condo, you start renting it out, and still you don't need to pay the other 50% all the way up to 10 years. So Sign
2: it, me up. Yeah, I was going to say,
3: I'll take
0: one too. Sign well, me up. Oh. Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
3: You'll be amazed how big this product is in New York right now. Yeah. That's why we're here today with you guys.
2: And unfortunately, we have run out of time in this segment as media keeps you know, telling me, <coughs> running out of time. So thank you once again uh, for everybody out there listening and who is interested. On my Facebook page later this afternoon and on Ana's Facebook page later this afternoon will be all the information on how you can get in touch with us with regard to purchasing or if you have any interest. We will come back after these messages. Don't go away.
1: We're ready now. Visit Blue Realtygroup.com. That's BLU Realty Group.com. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco.
2: All right, everybody, we're back, and I wanted to say thank you once again to Christopher Gill, who's going to be here for a couple of days in New York with us, and there will be more information on how you can purchase a property in either Playa del Carmen or in Tulum in the Mexican Caribbean on my webpage and certainly on Ana's webpage uh, and our Facebook pages. So I will have all that information out to you later this afternoon. I also have plenty of brochures that we can uh, send around should you have any interest. Um, I talked at the top of the show about what is a rising star. So, you know, typically in this town we have agents who are, you know, 40-plus who have had second and third careers and who have made their real estate careers even more successful than their past. Um, It's not an easy task. It's not an easy job. And it's very stressful, as we've talked about over the past year on this program. But today I have three brand-spanking-new agents who have joined my company in the last couple of months, and I wanted to kind of compare and contrast with some of the older um, thinking of of what this business is all about, and ask them typically, you know, why why real estate? Everybody in this town has a fascination with New York real estate, and it's kind of like, why do you want to be in this business? It is tough, it is difficult, uh, and it can be extremely stressful. So let's uh, start by introducing Jonathan Kamback, uh, Josh Adler, and Phil Hertling. We have Ivy Ray here in the studio, and we're going to be talking to our other panelists uh, in the next segment. So, guys, good morning and thank you for coming here today. Nice good to morning. see you all. Good
4: morning. Good to be here.
2: What's up, America? So, what, uh, America's doing fine, Josh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm far.
2: That's great. <laughs> here we go. Where did you guys – all right, let's start with the beginning. So, where did you grow up? And, and, and you know, it, as we kind of correlated to New York City living, New York City real estate acting, you know, all that stuff. Where did you grow up, Phil?
5: Okay. Start us I, off. I grew up in Oceanside, which is in Long Island on the South Shore. Um, You know, I've been around the city my entire life. I never worked in the city until now, but um, I'm loving it, and uh, yeah. John. Um, I grew up in northern New
4: Jersey in Bergen County. Um, I actually was born in Staten Island but moved there when I was very young, so I've always been around the city, and I've always watched the city from, you know, outside. But um, it's always been a big interest of mine to be in real estate in this city because it's so big. It's such a massive product, and uh, it's something that everyone looks at and is interested in, so.
6: That it is. Josh, where did you come from? Um, I grew up in Long Island as well, but uh, a little further out in Suffolk County, closer to the Hamptons. And uh, I never came into the city really until I moved here. Never thought I'd be here.
2: All right. So let's talk about growing up. And we all have these same thoughts. I mean, growing up, I wanted to be a whole bunch of things, including an actor and a newscaster and whatever else. Never really – never really dreamed about being in any of the professions I ended up in. So my, my interested, interested in you guys and my question to you is, so growing up as young guys, what did you really think you were going to do when you got out of college and when you came to the big city or if you just stayed in your local towns? What did you want to do, Phil?
5: I actually I went to Adelphi University, which is in Garden City in Long Island. Um, I went into journalism. I always thought that I wanted to work in sports because I loved sports. That was my passion growing up. I played every sport. Um, and I thought I would work for a team or work for a network or something like that. And, um, I did, I worked part-time at NBC sports for a little bit. I actually just stopped. Um, I worked for a baseball team as well, but then I realized, you know, I want to stay in New York city. This is the place I love. And I wanted to kind of get into sales and really make a career out of this. And I figured real estate was really up my alley. I actually tried, um, working with a a stockbroking firm, and I realized, you know, that's not really for me. I'm not trying to sell hopes and dreams. I'm really trying to sell a product, and I think uh, apartments in the city, there's nothing better to get into. John, what were you dreaming
2: about when you were growing up and finishing school, and what did you study and what did you want to do as a career?
4: Well, growing up, um, I had a (laughs) father in the banking industry, and he was very successful, so I always looked up to him as somebody that I wanted to grow up to be and um I actually went to Bentley University which is a predominantly business school in Massachusetts so it was always something I wanted to pursue little did i know when i got there i wouldn't like it as much as i thought i would so um i was working at a top firm in on wall street for 2 years and it just wasn't jiving with me. It didn't have what I was looking for in a career, and I couldn't imagine myself doing it for 40 years. You didn't feel the passion
2: every day when you got out of bed and said, I'm going to work, and I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to knock him dead. <laughs> no way. I'm so there with you.
6: Josh, tell us about your background. Um. Well, I was a delusional child. I <laughs> had dreams of becoming a professional surfer. Being from Long Island, that's uh, very unrealistic, but I competed up and down the East Coast for a very long time. I was not that good. I just I wanted it so bad and I just kept pretending I was good then I came here to the city at 18 to act and uh that was like I loved it but uh it's such a up and down career much like this I realized stability is not something I associate with my professional life or maybe even my mental life but uh well,
2: <laughs> stability is a good use of words because, quite frankly, in the acting business and or the news business and or the real estate business, stability is probably the furthest Yeah, from absolutely. There's so many everyday.
6: similarities from entertainment to real estate. There's a lot of correlations.
2: There's a lot of correlations. So let's get, let's get to the, the crux of it. So you know, everybody in this town has a pastime, and that pastime is real estate. I've never lived anywhere – well, I've only lived in New York, but no matter where I go around the world – It's not like New York City. Everybody is interested in real estate. Everybody wants to talk about it. You're at a cocktail party. You're at a social event. You're just out with friends having a beer. It's like everybody wants to talk about New York real estate. What is so fascinating about apartments? What is so fascinating about the price per square foot in this town being so far – you know, greater than any place else in the world. But, but but then again, it is, it's just one of those things. So what about this profession knowing, you know, as Josh just said a little while ago about the instability of it all, what about New York real estate really grabbed you and said, this is what I want to do. And this is how I want to make my success. And this is where I want to spend the rest of my career. John, what what about this,
4: this business? Well, I think, um, coming from my business background, my finance background, there was always a cap on what I can make. And, um, in this business, there's no cap. It's limitless. You can make as much as you really put your, put your effort into the business. So I think
6: that was one of the major factors that led me into real estate. <laughs> what about you, Josh? Um, for me, I was always fascinated with real estate. Uh, me and my mom would drive around the Hamptons and just drive down Dune Road and think about what it was like inside those, those mansions. So, uh, Now, I mean, those people also have apartments in New York. And uh, to know what it's like inside a Soho loft or a West Village townhouse, like, I'm fascinated by that. Like, the housing stock is so diverse. You really could see a plethora of different things. Well, Dune Road's quite a place to drive down.
5: But, yeah, I can understand that. Phil, what about you? Well, I think the reason why other people are so um, intrigued by it is because there's thousands and thousands of people moving into the city every year, people moving out. It's so competitive, the market. People that owned... Property in the city, 30 years ago, now made I don't know on a $70,000 investment. Now the properties are worth 800, 900,000. So it's just very um, intriguing for people to understand how much money is being made here and uh, how competitive the market is to find apartments.
2: Going back to what John said a minute ago, I mean the the income potential is unlimited, and we all know that. And I think that's what keeps us motivated, or stimulated, and certainly what got me into the business. Coming from uh, a technology sales background where you had quota every year and you basically had a ceiling of to how much you could earn. And, you know, even if you blew your quota number out in the year, some way, somehow, magically, your manager would raise that quota up. So, you know, they kind of limited your income. So if you, if $100,000 was, was your quota for the year and you made it in 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 June, all of a sudden you got an email that said, hey, guess what, your quota has been increased to $125,000. Or i am just using numbers arbitrarily. But so they do limit. Here it is completely unlimited. But let's really talk about the, the, the stress that 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 goes with being brand new in this business. I mean, obviously 14 years in this business, I have more stress in a day than I care to think about doing deals. But but on a very different level, on a very, you know, beginning of a career level, how are you dealing with the stress of trying to get a business going, trying to find clients, and trying to manage, you know, through your your day-to-day because
6: uh, this is very unlike any other business. Gosh. Um, to me, I associate real estate, like a puzzle, like the pieces all have to fit together in order to get a deal done. You need to find the clients, you need to find the housing stock, and then you need to get the deal, the paperwork all in order. And it's so up and down because in the very beginning of a deal, you think everything's going to go together. And at the drop of a hat, something could fall through. So, uh, you definitely need to keep your wits about you. Like just keep breathing. Cause, yeah. uh, yeah, I think letter. that's what you told me. I've, I've been listening <laughs> to you. <laughs> <laughs> Breathing is the operative word. Breathing John, is key.
4: John, what do you think? Well, I think coming into this business, you have to understand that you're not going to close deals right away. And it's going to take time and experience before you fully understand the business and you can fully operate and make deals on a continuous basis. So I think just knowing coming in that it's not going to be one, two, three, you're going to close your first deal, that's that's a good start. And that, that'll um,
2: reduce the stress. <laughs> It does, and once you get one done and two done and three done, then you' order you know because it 's not rocket science here it 's just a matter of going through the the steps of a process, and once you get a few deals done and you 're comfortable with that then it 's like kind of like all right, come at me you know i 'm ready for you let 's just get it done. Do you feel the same way phil
5: yeah i I believe once you start finding clients and you get referrals and you work with them and you build relationships with them, I think that 's when you really are going to start making it in this business until then you really You have to be on top of everything. When you meet people, make sure you're very professional and you go about your business and you're working in their best interest because, you know, word of mouth really is important in this business, I believe. And um, I think you really got to be giving 100 percent 24-7 every day to your business to really make it at the start.
2: Do you feel at all competitive with the people who are in the business a long period of time, like myself, 14 years or, you know, anybody greater than, say, five, six, seven years, 25 years in some cases here in Longer, do you feel competitive or do you feel like you're not going to be able to compete with these more established brokers uh, at a very young age? Or is it just something that, you know, you'll
5: deal with as as you need to? Well, I think you'll meet people that are intimidating maybe from other firms. But as far as working at Blue, I feel like when I'm around you and other guys, um, I'm inspired. I'm, I'm not, I don't really feel, um, you know, intimidated by you guys. I don't feel like I'm competing with you guys. I feel like we're here to become you guys one day. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, it's a very good environment at Blue Realty. What a thought. Oh yeah. my goodness. Mm-hmm. How do you no, no, feel
7: no.
4: Um I feel like you have to compete <laughs> to be successful. I mean, um, if you don't compete with the guys that are above you, then you're never going to be in that position. So you have to take it, what they do. You have to un- learn from them, but you're always competing in this business. It's pretty much you're on your own, so you have to understand that from the beginning. That's true. That's very true. You know, you're, you're
2: out there with, with the masses and you're out there with many you know, uh, other agents, but you really are in your own business. As I say to you all, all the time, it's your own little candy mm-hmm. store, and you run that candy store the way you need to or want to or have to, and with that comes your style, your, your presentation, your, your
6: whatever, but that's the most important. What about you, Josh? Um, well, I think you have to know there's competition out there. I mean, you're competing with the Leonard Steinbergs, the, you know, the Nikki Fields and the Vince Rocco's of the world. Like you got you mm-hmm. Like you're out there. Like, you, you know, what's going to make someone go to me <laughs> instead of you? I just plugged you there shamelessly.
0: Shameless. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah. We'll take it. We'll take it. That's better.
6: Right. But I mean, like, there's has to be a reason why someone's going to come to me instead of you. Like, what's that? What's the X factor? It's like anything else. But very true. So let me ask you this. I mean I probably know the answer to the question,
2: but are you looking to make a million dollars?
5: Yeah, I would like to. Well, who wouldn't?
2: I'm looking to make over a million dollars. Yeah, I knew he
0: was gonna say that.
2: <laughs> Listen, but as you said earlier, I mean this is this is what is is wonderful about this business. I mean, not many agents in this town, let's just clarify that, make a million dollars a year. But you know what? There are several that do, and it's it's possible. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. But what does it take and what does it come down to? And we've talked about this, you know, many times in training classes and in, and just in day-to-day stuff, it takes your, you know, diligence and your focus and your breathing and your understanding of what the elements out there because you're dealing with people on a regular basis and they're not easy to deal with. It's the most stressful thing in the world because you're dealing with people's private fortunes. Ivy, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I
0: do. You know, I'm sitting I'm surrounded by these Handsome young men that are now part of Blue Realty Group, and I have confidence in each of you you're you know what you 're saying is is pretty powerful, but you know what comes to mind, Vince and I think we've talked about it um, is that each of you come from unique backgrounds, each of you have. Uh, a substantial ground that you're already standing on, and so my question for you is: I, I don't know what you're pursuing in, in regards to the world that you're taking on, the sector of the population in New York City. But you come from a massive sport ground background. You come from finance, and you come from a couple things, and most recently, and still involved in acting. So I want to ask the question: Have you considered pursuing those worlds? Because for someone who's been in the industry a long time, people that are in finance are going to be so unbelievably comfortable with you already. You mean pursuing the clients in those worlds? Totally. And you're the sport man. You know what I mean? And you're the acting dude. So it's, you know, people, new agents come in and they're like, oh, my God, where are my clients? But you already speak their language. You've already done what they do. You know how hard it is to be an athlete. So I'm just curious. Well, I mean,
4: I've already started um, working in the financial district, Tribeca, Battery Park City, because a lot of the people that I used to work with live in those areas, live Mm -hmm. near Wall Street. So I think I've already started targeting that specific area because I know I understand them and I understand, uh, sorry, understand where they're coming
5: from. So Mm -hmm. I I can't say I'm working with people that have worked in the sports field because it's Right now, I'm finding clients, a lot of young professionals as I work in the financial district a lot also. So, I mean, I'm not um, looking for those clients. Would I love to work with people that have worked at NBC Sports and can talk that talk with me, you know, and build relationships that way? Yes, but I can't say, you know, I'm looking for those clients because Mm -hmm. right now I'm looking for any client. And, um, you know, the young professionals are really what we're working with as we're working in the, the financial district.
6: Um, for me, I went to Pace University, so I used my alumni listserv. I've reached out cool. to students. I've, I've spoken to a few actors who I've worked with in the past, and just let them know, like, hey, I'm doing real estate now. If you're ever looking for anything, just let me know. Like, you really got to plug yourself as much as you can. Like, let hand out cards to as many people as possible. Like, All right, guys, we business. have to
2: we have to take a break. So uh, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice of America Variety Channel. Don't go away, but we'll be right back.
1: Visit Blue Realty Group.com. That's B L U Realty Group.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America. At 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All
2: right, everybody, we're back and we're talking to our panel coming up. And I wanted to just introduce Perul Brombeck from Core Group, now Lundgren from Dalian Realty. Rachel Altshuler from Douglas Elliman, and Deborah Hoppin from Town Residential. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, ben. Good morning, Ben. So we want to talk about a couple of um, topics here. First, first of all, the purchaser, for example, of a condominium is in default under the contract of sale. Can the seller automatically keep the contract sales down payment? Now, we, you know, we, we go through this on a daily basis with people who want to drop out of deals, but – If they are already in contract and there's a default, can the seller keep that contract deposit? This is a big one that people ask me all the time just Mm. before they have to sign a contract. What is the thinking out there?
0: Uh Uh-oh. Where's everybody? Hello? We've lost our panel. What do you think about that, Vince, what, Well, in your
2: experience? Well, I think under the standard form of condominium contracts with me I to start
0: talking, So I guess yeah. I'll, I'll talk. Hey, we um, good talking. morning
7: everybody.
8: Good morning, Rachel. <laughs> good morning, <laughs> How are Rachel? you?
7: Hi. Um, so that's a it's a long answer. I think it's that's why we're all kind of like where do we begin because it's so complicated. I think the easiest way to answer that is in this current market a buyer should have a mortgage contingency to protect their contract deposit. And that is something that it can go either way because the seller is going to want the buyer to drop that contingency um, because they don't want to lock themselves in for 30 days. And then a buyer and a buyer's attorney is going to want to protect the purchaser by having that contingency and to protect the contract deposit. So that's one yeah. way to answer it, and I can let someone else talk about um, well, it, it, really,
2: it. It really comes down to you know the terms that you I think that you put into the contract itself. That you negotiate, now, correct. That you negotiate because under the standard form of a condominium contract, for example, the seller may not automatically keep the down payment even if the purchaser is in default of the contract. So you've got to make sure on both sides of the, the fence, the seller and the buyer – that uh, you work with your your attorney and all of those points need to be negotiated because, you know, obviously, you know, the, the infamous word drama that we talk about in these deals all the time, that's a big one. And I almost uh, thought I was going to be going through that just recently, somebody wanting to back out of a contract for reasons that are crazy. But obviously they couldn't because they would be in default. And in this particular case, they would have lost their deposit money. Let's talk about condops for a minute uh, because people get confused as to what is a condop. We know what a co-op is. We know what a condo is. What is a condop? Anybody want to take a stab at that one?
9: There are actually a couple of different definitions for this. One definition is a condop is a co-op which has condo rules, meaning you could sublet at will You can, you really don't need board approval or there's a little tiny board approval, really nothing. That's number one. Number two, some buildings years ago when there was still what was called this 80-20 rule, which has since been rescinded. What the 80-20 rule is, is that co-ops were not allowed to get more than 20% of their income from sources outside of maintenance. So if they had a huge lease downstairs of a Dwayne Reed or a supermarket, the leases were actually very cheap for them because the co-op could not get uh, large returns. So what many co-ops did was they converted the commercial space to a condo or a few separate condos and the whole residential space to a condo. So And there's a third one, but honestly, I'm not feeling good today, and I don't remember. <laughs> Think, but
2: Deborah, let me ask you another, something. So, in these yes. condo scenarios, um, are <laughs> they generally managed by two different boards? You know, one for the commercial space, the condo space, one for the residential space, which is the co-op space, or is it all managed under one board of managers?
7: No, it's
9: one board. A lot of it is sort of like a dance, mm. a little bit of a fiction, but it's not. It goes according to New York State law, but it's all one board.
2: Huh. Do we find uh, – yeah, there – okay, that's interesting because I, I did remember one where there was uh, two boards, and it really was kind of complicated because oh. in this particular case, the board package had to be you know reviewed by both sets of boards. And I kind of wondered what that was all about or why that made any sense, but we, we prevailed and we did well, so that was fine. How many of these buildings exist in New York City, though? I have to believe that there aren't that many condos out there when you want to compare to co-ops and condos that are out there in Manhattan land or in Brooklyn and Queens? Are there a lot that's of them a,
8: out there? That's a, that's a tough question, Vince. I'm not sure if anyone has an exact number or answer on that one. But, you know, I think condops are a unique beast because um, what I like to say, you know, as, as like an answer to your previous question is that condops are co-ops with condo rules. Um, mm. They're generally more flexible and a, a unique thing that, you know, when you're looking for the condo type buyer, If you still search under condos, you know condops come up. Or excuse me, if you search under co-ops, condops come up under that a lot of times. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a unique way to find more lenient co-op type of buildings um, that would allow you know some purchasers with funky types of situations to be allowed to uh, buy in certain buildings. So um, I, 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 I like condops. I've done a couple deals in condop buildings, and they generally seem to be um, super flexible, from my experience.
0: Would you find that the pricing is comparable to co-ops? If we still are in a in a environment where co-ops are generally potentially less expensive than condos, would you compare co- uh, condo, excuse me, co-op and condo pricing?
8: The one the, the building that I've done the deals in, uh, I would say they're more in line with condo pricing because of how. Seamless the deal was. I mean, literally the, the board, the package to put it together was just an application, no, no paperwork at all. And I kept calling up the managing agent
6: saying, uh, what, what is going on
8: here? Is, is this all the paperwork we need? Like, I was like shocked how easy it was. Um, so that, I don't know, that was a little weird, but it, to answer your question, Ivy, yeah, I think it's, um, it, it, it's in line with condo pricing. Well, my actually, I
9: think, I think it goes building by building and neighborhood by neighborhood because a few <laughs> different condos. 's in mind is. when you ask that Ivy, and a couple of them have very, very high maintenance charges, so the prices mm. are a little lower, so i 'm mm-hmm. just thinking of one particularly on the Upper West Side, uh, which we all know about the boulevard, which is a condo, but the prices are not as high because the monthly charges are really high, even though the paperwork, yeah. as Niall just said, is pretty easy. But,
2: Deborah, let me ask you something. In that particular case, is that building on a land lease? Because I think it is, and that's a situation um, where the – that's why rather the the lease are higher than usual or the, higher than they should be.
9: Actually, I don't think it is on a land lease.
2: Interesting. Okay.
9: I really don't think it is. Oh, and that's the third thing I remembered. There's some kind of law with New York State – I don't remember what it is. You'll have to ask an attorney – but a – Condo cannot be built on land that they don't own. So, for instance, the Azure on the Upper East Side, which is brand new, is a co-op because it's on a land lease. And there's a few more like that that are brand new. One of the Trump buildings on in the East Sixties, same thing. It's really a co-op, although people think it's a condo because it's on a land lease.
0: Huh.
2: All right. I have one last question before we go to break. Can a co-op board reject the sale of a co-op apartment because the price of the apartment is too low? Now, this is a very interesting question. Can they reject because they think the price is too low?
9: Yes. By law, they can't. This has happened to me a few There's times during the downturn. <laughs> no, by law, they can't. The problem is no one ever puts anything in writing as to why. And
8: well, by, by,
2: by, law, by law, co-ops can't do a lot of things, but we know that they do everything. Right. So so yeah, I, I really. get what you're saying. But and what yeah, happens is tell eventually you, the communication trickles
7: down from the managing agent, from the board, to the seller, no. to the buyer, to the broker. And then you find out that, in fact, they did turn it down because they didn't want the value for their own properties to go down. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, that that's, that's the situation I had, and that's a big situation. And we actually got a board to listen. All cash – Millions of dollars left over in the bank uh, after this is. I was representing a buyer, and at the end of the day, they turned them down. And we, the only thing we can think of is because the price was too low or a little under market. The seller really wasn't crazy. They wanted to just move on and and, and get a quick sale, which they did. So, you got to be really careful about that. All right, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about why broker fees are too high on the rental side. Everyone out there knows that uh, people are adverse to wanting to pay broker fees on the rental side. So we'll talk about that when we come back. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. We're ready now. Visit blue-realtygroup.com. That's b l u Group.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time, the number 1 internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at Blurealtygroup.com Now, back to the show.
2: Hey everybody, we are back with a very large cast of brokers today. Perul Brombat, Niall Lundgren, Rachel Altschiller, Ivy Ray, Deborah Hoffman, Jonathan Camback, Josh Adler, and Phil Hurtling. So welcome Ooh. back everybody to segment four. All right. So now let's talk about broker fees because you know in the rental side of our business, everybody is always stressed about, you know, having to deal with clients before you take them out while you're, you're, you're showing them stuff and then certainly when a deal is ready to be done because the people will, the customer will always say, hey, why is the broker fee, among other things that we'll talk about, but why is the broker fee so high? Anybody want to weigh in on, on on why it's so high? Or actually, better said, justify why the fee
6: is not.
0: Oh, I'd love to begin by if people only knew, and I think that everybody on the panel and surrounding me in the studio is going to agree on this, if people only knew the amount of prep And phone calls for appointments for seeking the right property if they only knew the amount of time that is spent before they even meet you. Does everyone agree with that?
5: Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Absolutely.
0: It's extraordinary. A rental is much more difficult than a sale. In a lot of ways. And the work is extensive if you're going to do your job. But here's
2: a comment I have to say, too. You know, when you look at the rental pool out there, you know, there are a lot of and I and I mean this, you know, in a nice way. But there are a lot of people out there who aren't serious or a lot of people say flaky rental customers out there. So, you know, a portion of our fee when we get our fee, whatever that number is, sort of covers like the one the five out of every 10, you know, uh, client disappears. You know They'll yep. run you around for two or three days and then you disappear. Now, where do we earn any money there? You don't. Yep. So it's not like other people have to pay for your you know, crazy clients, but at the end of the day, it all works out to be one thing. We are agents, we are professionals, and this is what we have to do to make a living. And there's always going to be an adjustment and a fee if that's necessary, but I want to talk about where does the money go? So when someone says to me, all right, you're charging me 15% of the annual rent as your fee, where does this money go? Everybody thinks that that goes into Vince Rocco's pocket or Ivy Ray's pocket or John Kamek's pocket. But where does this money go? Somebody want to break that down for us, please?
7: breakdown the half of- is 7.5% to each broker. So you have the renter's broker and then you have the listing agent. So that's 7.5%. Unless one party decides to reduce that uh, case by case, you will find a broker reducing it because of the relationship or to get the deal done. And then after that, depending on what split you are with your company, that can range from a 50%, 40% cut, all the way to a 70% cut if you're lucky. And on top of that, you're paying taxes. So to answer your question, it really isn't a ton of money for a rental broker on one transaction. It is a lot of money to a renter. And we all understand that. We know it's a lot of money up front. But I think it's important to educate um Most people who are in the rental world don't understand the amount of work. For instance, I was taking a renter out. This is a very interesting story. My cousin had a friend, and we took him out. He wanted to move forward on something. I broke it down to him with the 15%, and he said, why am I giving 7.5% to the listing agent? He didn't do anything. And it was a really interesting that's thing after 13 years to hear that because I, wow. I'm usually the listing agent. And so that's what people are thinking about me. And I said, actually, they worked really hard to market this apartment and how many times they've shown it. And the relationship with their owner and the negotiating and the paperwork. I mean And he, he was like, oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't realize that. So it is a lack of education for most people not understanding what goes on behind the, the doors.
2: Rachel, very well said, and I was going to follow that with this question. So what should I expect as a renter when I'm out there working with a broker? What should I expect to get back from my broker for the fee I'm paying? And you just touched on it a little bit about education, but what out there's more than just educating. What else is there that these people need to know? For one, you know, I can talk about gauging your priorities. You know, everybody's out there running around wanting to find the best rental, but what are your real? What really are your priorities? What what, what neighborhood do you want? What really is your price point? What about this and what about that? So you know, aside from you know priorities and educating, what else do you need to make them understand? that that's what they're paying you for, because this is really where it's important. And this is why once they're fully, you know, uh, educated, they won't have a problem paying you. But we've got to set the expectation correctly.
8: It's important to understand how to structure deals, too. A lot of people think that they could just come to Manhattan and rent an apartment. Well, it's it's not that easy, John. You know, if somebody is international, right, then they don't have U.S. credit. Well, in order to rent in New York City, you have to have established in U.S. credit. And if you don't have that, you need to find a guarantor. Some of you make 90 times the rent to do that. And if you're from, you know, Hong Kong and you're just showing up, gonna rent an apartment, you know, you're gonna have a tough time and you're gonna be like, what the heck is going on here? Why won't these people let me rent? Uh, I could do this. So options that brokers can give you are to pay the year up front. They can help educate you on how to structure the deals by using, um, a corporate insurance, uh, insurance, which is insurance. That's kind of a funky name. Um, and that's a great way mm-hmm. to, to get around certain landlords um, and to get approval. So we're, we're able to help you navigate that. You could spend all of your time going to see the, the 90 buildings that won't allow you to do it, but we could just save you that time and bring it to the 10 that will. And say, hey, look, I know you've been out there looking for three weeks. You know, I've been doing this for a while. I understand your situation. Let me just save you a bunch of time. I'm going to take you out on Tuesday, show you seven apartments, you pick the best one. I guarantee we're going to get the deal done by you know uh, by Wednesday, and that kind I of service—that's you know, excellent. that that,
2: that that's really that thats really great too, Nile. And I just wanted to clarify, the, you know, the okay. points there on what you should expect, you know, gauge your priorities, educate (laughs) your client to the best that you can, help them stand out from other applicants. There's one, help them stand out from other applicants. Mm -hmm. I was just
0: going to say in this day and age, I think it's really important. You know, it's it's hard for us because there are so many, as many different human beings, as many different people there are in the city, there are that many different kinds of brokers. So you've got to be clear with your clients, whether it's sale, but we're talking about rentals, Right up front. And for them to walk around with a package, I couldn't agree with you more, Vince. They've got to have their financials ready. They've got to have everything ready. So if they like something, they hand over a beautiful folder. But most also, I wanted to say there's always all of these often unique extenuating circumstances with each individual. You're a singer. You want to sing during the day. You have to work your voice. You have a dog. You have, you have to have light. What does that really mean? 30% light, 90% light. You don't like low ceilings. You've never lived with a bedroom with a brick wall outside. If you're a seasoned New Yorker and a seasoned broker, you can sit down with somebody for two hours or an hour and find out everything that they have to Absolutely. live with and yeah. what they cannot live without. And we know the neighborhoods like the back of our hand. What are you looking for? How old are you? What do you want right outside your door? You don't care. I mean, there's so... People don't begin to realize how... A good broker can save you time and money and heartache and, you know, and can get you a home. And for you new guys
2: here this morning with us, and the purpose of this was to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. compare and contrast, you know, listen to what some of the old, the more experienced people are talking about. These are the things that when you enter out into the, the rental world with new clients, you know, communicate, share your knowledge, as as Ivy just pointed out, represent your interest if you are representing the landlord, clearly communicate and set expectations properly and i'm going to try pro- i'm going to promise you something and i don't like to go on re- on record too many times in real estate but i'm going to promise you you're going to find and you're going to get those results mm-hmm. unbelievable unfortunately we are completely out of time so let's end with this thought we mm-hmm. all seem to want it we all seem to seek it success seems to be the magic word for what we chase after prepare for choose and desire it's how we often define our lives Money, fame, and power are often what we have been told make up success. Americans tend to define success by money and by what money can buy. But but, this doesn't mean more fulfillment or contributing to make the world better in some or any way. It simply means having more things. Having more Mm -hmm. things. Use the success that you achieve in this business and in your life and make a difference. Yes. So that's it for Good Morning New York this week. We are back next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific Time Live. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next
1: time. Thanks for tuning in this week.